Blog Talk Radio. Sometimes the feeling is right to fall in love for the first time. Heartbeat and kisses so sweet. So much I'm loving the moonlight. I see I Uh, if you happen to be at a uh, military base, 
like uh, Dr. Jones, um, our prayers and thoughts are with all of you, especially if you are a active duty soldier member somewhere out and about, or if you are retired and struggling, our prayers are with you, all of our soldiers. And uh, speaking of that, today's show, um, our memorial contribution, uh, tonight's broadcast is dedicated in loving memory of Geraldo Campos. He was 23 years old. He died in Afghanistan while supporting Operation Enduring Freedom. He leaves behind a wife and a 10-month-year-old daughter. In the uh, in the description, I have a link to his page. It's a dedication. Family and friends are mourning the loss of the South Florida soldier who died after his unit was attacked by small arms fire in Afghanistan. Um, it's a small tribute video. It's a very good video. Uh, it's always tough doing a dedication because these people are like all, they're all like my brothers and sisters. So, But just another quick reminder, too, is uh, Dr. Jones and many of the retired veterans are down in uh, Virginia uh, helping to train some of the young uh, soldiers that we tend to think that these soldiers just enter the service and right away everything's just perfect and they get in good shape and we make them soldiers. A lot of times they enter the military for all different kinds of reasons, but an awful lot of them uh, need some special attention, so many great, great veterans, including Doc Jones, are out there helping them. And so please keep all of them in your prayers as well. This tribute is to the heroes. The next clip I play is a tribute to the heroes. This is the welcome home that they never received.
we're going to play a series of recordings and interviews. We're going to go in depth and in detail. And the question, is there anything we can do to really save the Republic at this point? Whether it be the NDAA, the Patriot Act, or the TSA, just a never-ending, um, what seems to be a never-ending attack on uh, individual sovereignty for we the people. And can we stop it? Uh, it's too late. Um, what can we do maybe to reverse the trend? Is this what most of the American people want? I mean, do they want a government uh, dictatorship? I mean, it's, it's a question I pose. I mean, is that what they want? Is this what the government wants? Or is this what the people want? They want this from their government. Um, you know, it never, it never surprises me just the level of how certain um, how certain people really believe and trust the government uh, to a point to where it's just it's almost like unbelievably believable. But anyway, um, before we move on and I actually uh, play the clip, I wanted to um, play a uh, clip on, um, oh, what's that? It's called the Budget Bandits. We live in a radical world where on average the U.S. government takes in $185 billion per month but spends $300 billion per month. Where we have $14.5 trillion in debt increasing by $3 billion every single day, leading us towards financial ruin. Politicians who endorse or allow this out-of-control spending are budget bandits. If these bandits can't stop spending money we don't have, they need to be replaced by common-sense elected officials who understand the spending crisis and want to do something to solve it. What you can do for your country is stop the budget bandits from spending away our future. Go to www.endingspending.com and tell the budget bandits that it is time to balance the budget. The budget bandits. Is that not something else? I mean, hey, rock on. <laughs> Go budget bandits. All right, before we jump into our clip, let's uh, review it history and take a look at what's happened today in history. February 5th, 1937. President Franklin D. Roosevelt proposes boosting the number of justices on the U.S. Supreme Court. He pushes the plan after the court strikes down key parts of his New Deal program during the Great Depression. The court itself can best undo what the court has done. But critics accuse Roosevelt of trying to pack the high court, and he suffers his first major defeat in Congress. 1994. In Mississippi, Byron Della Beckwith is convicted of murdering civil rights leader Medgar Evers more than 30 years earlier. Beckwith, a white supremacist, gets life in prison. He dies behind bars nearly seven years later. 1914, William S. Burroughs, one of the writers during the Beat Movement of the 1950s, is born in St. Louis. 1967. Well, we're going to do a little ditty that's going to make everybody happy, Tom. I'm not. You? I'm not. The Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, the TV variety show for the 60s counterculture, 
premieres on CBS. And 1934. Baseball Hall of Famer Hank Aaron is born in Mobile, Alabama. Today in history, February 5th, Ross Simpson, the Associated Press. Today in history, imagine that. <laughs> uh, do we know what it means to be a conservative? Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the founding fathers. Not too long ago. government asks that we concentrate our hopes and dreams on one man, that we trust him to do what's best for us. Well, my view of government places trust not in one person or one party, but in those values that transcend persons and parties. citizens are abused or attacked anywhere in the world on the direct orders of a hostile regime, we will respond. Terrorism is the preferred weapon of weak and evil men. And as Edmund Burke reminded us, in order for evil to succeed, it's only necessary that good men do nothing. I'll tell you where I stand. I do not favor a peacetime draft or registration, but... benefit levels that will attract and keep highly motivated men and women in our volunteer forces. I think we're foretelling our senior citizens that no one in this country should be denied medical care because of a lack of funds. But I think we're against forcing all citizens, regardless of need, into a compulsory government program. For a provision that destitution should not follow unemployment by reason of old age. And to that end, we've accepted Social Security as a step toward meeting the problem. But we're against those entrusted with this program when they practice deception regarding its fiscal shortcomings. When they charge that any criticism of the program means that we want to end payments to those people who depend on them for a livelihood. They've called it insurance. Well, I seem to know what he's talking about. 
this little pamphlet. The truth about Negroes and foreigners. The truth about the Catholic Church. Do you believe in that kind of talk? That all makes pretty good sense to me. And I tell you, friends, we'll never be able to call this country our own until it's a country without. Without what? Yeah, without what? Without Negroes. Without alien foreigners. Without Catholics. Without Freemasons. You know What's wrong with the Masons? I'm a Mason. Hey, that fellow's talking about me. And that makes a difference, doesn't it? These are your enemies. These are the people who are trying to take over our country. Now you know them. You know what they stand for. And it's up to you and me to fight them. Fight them and destroy them before they destroy us. Thank you. Before he said Mason, you were ready to agree with him. Well, yes, but he was talking about... What about those other people? But in this country, we have no other people. We are American people. What about you? You aren't American, right? I was born in Hungary, but now I am an American citizen. And I have seen what this kind of talk can do. I saw it in Berlin. What were you doing there? I was a professor at the university. I heard the same words we have heard today. But I was a fool then. I thought Nazis were crazy people, stupid fanatics. But unfortunately, it was not so. You see, they knew that they were not strong enough to conquer a unified country. So they split Germany into small groups. They used prejudice as a practical weapon to cripple the nation. Of course, that was not easy to do. They had to work hard to do it. You see, we human beings are not born with prejudices. Always they are made for us. Made by someone who wants something. Remember that when you hear this kind of talk. Somebody is going to get something out of it. And it isn't going to be you. This is not classroom theory. I saw it happen. I saw it first in Berlin in 1932. Five young men that I knew were standing in the crowd listening to the Nazi speaker. Eric was a Catholic. Anton, a student of mine, was a Jew. Heinrich owned a small hardware store. Karl was a farmer. And Hans was an unemployed metal worker. To all Bavarian Germans, I say at this time you inherited the nation which rightfully belongs to you. To you alone belongs the glorious destiny of the greater Germany. The Nazi party will provide land for the farmer, work for the worker, and profit for the small businessman. Who is getting these things now? The Jew. The Jew who has stolen our nation and our birthright. Who makes all the money and takes all our jobs? The Jew, he must be shunned. He must be ostracized. He must be eliminated. And the Catholics, we don't want our great nation run by a foreign church. We Germans will know what to do with these people when the time comes. They and their faith must be destroyed. Then there are the Freemasons. In Germany, we have no place for secret societies. There may be only one society, and that is the Nazi party. There may be no secrecy about that in the new greater Germany. One by one, he attacked each minority, and he split them off one from the other. 
These men were all fellow Germans when they came here today. Now they were split into rival groups, suspicious of each other, hating each other. They were being swindled, all of them. But the man who was really being fooled was Hans. He was pure German, according to Nazi standards. To him they promised everything, and he fell for it. That's how Hans became a superman. They gave him a uniform and they pumped up his ego. He wasn't just a little fellow out of work anymore. He was a member of the master race. Hans and thousands of others like him, all playing a sucker's game. They gambled with other people's liberty. And of course, they lost their own. A nation of suckers. Hitler needed these people. There was lots of work to be done. There were trade unions to be smashed because unions were organized and might offer resistance. There were many political parties in Germany. These the Nazis destroyed. They were determined to smash every organization where people might band together and resist them. There were Jews to be beaten and killed. The Jews were not powerful, but they were a convenient excuse for all the nation's ills. And besides, a Nazi party member could not take over this man's store. Hundreds of Catholics were put in jail because the Catholic Church had strength and could resist the Nazi drive for power. They had split the nation into a hundred pieces and then one by one they had destroyed the pieces. Over these broken pieces the Nazis rode into power. One party, one nation, one religion. These men had won their struggle for power. They now ruled all of Germany. But still they had trouble with their oldest and most persistent enemy, the truth. They found that truth does not die easily. And so they decided to abolish truth. One great source of truth is literature. So they burned books. Twenty million of them. Many great men in Germany who were spokesmen for truth were jailed or driven from their country. Teachers, writers, scientists. Education was discouraged. In five years, college attendance dropped 53%. It was forbidden to listen to a British radio program or read an American newspaper. In Nazi Germany, you had to get your information from Dr. Goebbels. He knew what was best for you. The church was one force in Germany still strong enough to proclaim the truth in public. This Catholic priest was arrested the following day on charges of immorality. The Protestant church also continued to try and fight for truth. The Nazis put this man in a concentration camp. There were others who spoke for truth, and I am proud to say that educators were among them. And what, may I ask, is an Aryan? I don't know myself. But let us see what our present so-called authorities have to say about it. They say he is tall. Slender. Blue eye. And blonde. There is no Aryan race. 
and more important. There is no master race. There are people who may find these ideas convenient, but science cannot support them. There is no scientific proof that there is any correlation between a man's racial characteristics and his native ability or character. In all racial groups, we find the same range of potentialities. We find idiots and geniuses. We find criminals and philanthropists. We must judge each man as an individual and not by the color of his skin or his eyes or by the length of his nose. Come in, gentlemen. It's comfortable. And remember that there is no master race. That is a scientific truth. Anyone who tells you otherwise is lying. And so for all practical purposes, truth had been abolished in Germany. A lot of my German friends wondered what had hit them. How did it happen? Where did it start? It started right here. And this was where it could have been stopped. If those people had stood together, if they had protected each other, they could have resisted the Nazi threat. Together they would have been strong. But once they allowed themselves to be split apart, they were helpless. When that first minority lost out, everybody lost out. They made the mistake of gambling with other people's freedom. Now let's see how those bets paid off. Carl the farmer was gambling on a better life for himself. What he got was extra hours of back-breaking work, as much as a hundred hours a week. He was forced to stay on his land and produce what he was told to produce, because now Hitler was preparing for war. For Heinrich, who owned the hardware store, the bet didn't pay off either. 104,000 small businesses were closed in two years. And for Hans, conditions hadn't improved any. He had a job now, in the munitions factory, but he worked long hours for little pay. The working conditions grew increasingly bad. And even though he didn't like the job, he wasn't permitted to leave it. And when Hitler decided the time was right, Germany went to war. Not by declaring war, but by a carefully prepared sneak attack. Once again, Hitler needed Hans to do his dirty work. Hans was an expert at brutality this time. And Hitler had decided to use Hans and his brutality against other people. The Czechs, the Poles, the French, the Russians. But in the crucial test of war, Hitler's race theories didn't pay off. His pure-blooded supermen were defeated by the mongrel armies he despised. By the British of El Alamein. By the Russians at Stalingrad. Then on D-Day by American soldiers of every color and religion. 
who smashed across the Normandy beaches and drove on through to the heart of Germany. For the misguided Germans who had swallowed the Nazi bait, the Nazi game did not pay off. The continent of Europe was strewn with millions of German bodies, pure Aryan bodies. Karl, the farmer, was left in the snow outside of Moscow. Heinrich stayed in Italy at Salerno. And Hans, who was going to rule the world, got only a little patch of Normandy that he could call his own. We must never let that happen to us or to our country. We must never let ourselves be divided by race or color or religion, because in this country we all belong to minority groups. I was born in Hungary. You are a Mason. These are minorities. And then you belong to other minority groups, too. You are a farmer. You have blue. You go to the Methodist church. Your right to belong to these minorities is a precious thing. You have a right to be what you are and say what you think, because here we have personal freedom. We have liberty. And these are not just fancy words. This is a practical and priceless way of living. But we must work at it. We must guard everyone's liberty, or we can lose our own. If we allow any minority to lose its freedom by persecution or by prejudice, we are threatening our own freedom. And this is not simply an idea. This is good, hard common sense. You see, here in America, it's not a question whether we tolerate minorities. America is minority. And that means you and me. So let's not be suckers. We must not allow the freedom or dignity of any man to be threatened by any act or word. Let's be selfish about it. Let's forget about we and they. Let's think about us. I love that clip. It's just so perfect. I know it's long, but it's just so perfect. Here's Charles <clears throat> jumping into our uh, into more of our topic. Um, here's something interesting. Imagine if your family was awakened in the middle of the night by a team of federal officers. Well, that's exactly what happened to a woman and her children in Granville County. Amanda Lamb is in the newsroom joining us now. And Amanda, we understand that because this case falls under the Patriot Act, a lot of the usual rights for defendants not available here. That's right, David. The Patriot Act was created after 9-11. It allows federal agents to investigate suspected cases of terrorism swiftly in order to better protect our country. But one Granville County mother says it gives the federal government too much leeway. Her son was taken into federal custody two months ago. She can't get him out, and she can't get any answers. 16-year-old Ashton Lundeby's bedroom is nothing if not patriotic. American flags everywhere. But according to the United States government, this 10th grader, who has never been in trouble with the law before, is now a suspected terrorist. I was terrified. There were guns, and I don't like guns around my children. I don't believe in guns. On March 5th, around 10 o'clock in the evening, Annette Lundeby says 10 armed FBI agents, along with three local officers, stormed her home looking for her son. They handcuffed him and presented her with a search warrant. They said that he was being arrested for um, making numerous bomb threats. Annette Lundeby told the officers that someone stole her son's IP address 
and used it to make crank calls through the Internet, making it look like the calls had originated from her home. She says the FBI's extensive search of her home turned up nothing. No bomb-making materials, not even a blasting cap, not even a wire, not even... I mean, I don't even know how to make bombs, but they didn't find anything. The teenager was taken to a juvenile facility in Indiana where the bomb threat was supposedly made. His mother has had little access to him since his arrest. She says the Patriot Act stripped her son of his right to due process. And we have no rights under the Patriot Act to even defend them because the Patriot Act supersedes Basically, it's superseding the Constitution. There's nothing a matter of public record. All those normal rights are just suspended in the air. Dan Boyce is a former U.S. attorney. It's a new law, and I'm sure there were very, very good intentions. But Boyce believes the Patriot Act has gone too far in some cases. And Ashton Lundeby's may just be one of them. It very well could be a case of overreaction where... Uh, an agent leapt to certain conclusions or has made certain assumptions about this individual and about how serious the threat really is. Because there is a gag order in the case, the U.S. attorney in Indiana told us he could not comment, nor could the FBI. The North Carolina Highway Patrol did confirm they assisted the FBI with its operation at the Lundeby home on March 5th. Never in my worst nightmare did I ever think that it would, have, it would be my own government that I would have to protect my children from. This is, this is the United States, and I feel like I live in a third world country now. Lundeby says this type of case is not what the Patriot Act was intended for. Voice agrees. It was to protect the public, but what, what we need to do is make sure there are checks and balances to make sure those new laws are not abused. Know that they can come and take anyone in your family away, even your children. And they don't have to be guilty. Lundeby says her son is scheduled to have a hearing at the end of May, but she is not hopeful it will happen because the date has already been moved multiple times. And we will continue to follow this story. David? Amanda Lamb, thank you. Yeah, moved multiple times because... Uh... <laughs> they kind of had egg all over their face. Uh, this really close shows, goes to show you how incompetent these people are, that they uh, uh, pretty much can storm the house of a sophomore in high school having really little research. They really wanted to uh, take care of that case. They could have done it without even going to his house, um, simply because obviously uh, they could have figured out what happened without storming his, uh, <laughs> doing the things they did, but... This is the United States. Charles Krauthammer. I think the re when I heard today Obama. that he was going to speak at 9 o'clock, instantly I thought, we've got a deal. Why else would the president request airtime? And then I hear that he's just going to make his argument. And I think the reason he's doing this is because, what, uh, on three nights ago, uh, there he was on television. Uh, sorry about that. We jumped out of that. I had a problem with the recording. Government for government, government by government, government, government. I really like what they do. Alan Gottlieb joins me now. He's the executive vice president of the Second Amendment Foundation. How are you doing this morning, Alan? Welcome back. Doing great, Bill. Good to be with you. Good to have you here, too. You were over at the, at the show in Pittsburgh, right? Uh, yes, over I was. 
The NRA convention, yes. Yeah, the NRA convention. I heard you on Tom Gresham's uh, gun talk. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm glad I'm going to get a chance to talk to him here uh, real soon, too. And uh, a couple of cases I wanted to to talk with you about, uh, some interesting lawsuits. You get involved. Yeah, I mean, you fund these lawsuits. You're going to court all the time. You are suing big government and trying to uh, you know protect the Second Amendment and uh, by connection, other civil rights here, too. And I was really intrigued by the one about uh, the gun ban for um, non-state resident purchases, or at least I don't think that's exactly what it is. I was wondering if you could explain that for listeners this morning. Well, we have one for that as, as well. as I'm not sure which one you're talking about, if it's the Massachusetts one. Maybe that's the one I'm thinking of first. Uh, in, in Massachusetts, uh, the gun ban, yeah. there, right? Well, there we have legal aliens who are residents of the, of the United States, but Massachusetts has a law that doesn't allow them the same rights as citizens. And, of course, there's been a number of court decisions around the country that a legal resident who's living here enjoys the same freedoms as citizens do. And so we're suing the gun law there because they won't allow them to have handguns in their own home to defend themselves against crime. But we also have another suit that uh, was filed in Washington, D.C., that uh, we have a situation that we have a U.S. citizen living abroad in Canada who, is, when he comes home, is not legally allowed to buy a gun because he's not a resident of the state since he lives and works in Canada. So as a, uh, he then loses his rights as a citizen under the Constitution, particularly the Second Amendment right. And we had a, a federal judge that said we didn't have standing to sue. We took it to the appeals court, and the appeals court in Washington, D.C. is the hardest circuit, by the way, to get standing in because they really don't want you suing the government, and that's where most suits against the government are. But we won 3-0, sent it back down to... Uh, try it on the merits of the case, which we're going to win. And so we're really kind of excited about that because the government was trying to stop us uh, on technical grounds. We actually had filed that suit in Ohio where the gentleman was was, was from and where he was registered, where he still registered to vote and vote, even though he lived, lives abroad working. And the government argued it was the wrong venue. We weren't legally allowed to sue them there. They wanted to move to D.C. where they knew they figured we couldn't get standing, and we got it 3-0. We're really excited. Okay, so... If this moves forward, if this ends up uh, being tossed out, or if the uh, the, the principle of um, saying, all right, you are an American citizen living abroad, and you come back, and you can't legally say that you are a resident of any of the states. Well, all of the states that I'm aware of require that you be a resident to be able to purchase a firearm, correct? No, it's federal law, not state oh, oh, law. Oh, it's a federal law. I'm sorry. So it's, it's a, a federal law. It's that, a federal uh, law. And, and Bill, the really important thing about this is that if they knock out that part of the 68 Gun Control Act, it also would apply to you and I. It would mean that we and your listeners could now buy a handgun in any state they want to. It doesn't matter if they live in the state or not. We all go through the same federal background check anyway, so what's the difference? What about states? Could states then have the power to say, well, we would still require that you be a resident of, let's say, the state of Oregon to be able to purchase a firearm in Oregon? There are a few states that do have that as, a, as current law. And the problem they're going to face is, is that it, it's not going to stand up in court uh, on, on the basic grounds that you can't – equal protection, that you can't deny certain people certain things when other states give it. And the federal government or the Constitution now has affirmed the Second Amendment as an individual right and a fundamental right. Uh, they're not going to be able to infringe on it. This would thanks be real- our, by, by the way, that's thanks to our court case, McDonald v. Chicago – and knocked out the Chicago gun ban and incorporated the Second Amendment to all 50 states. But there's another gun ban uh, situation in Chicago that you are working on, too, and that it, it, I think it's Chicago, isn't it? Yes. In which uh, you technically have the right to, to purchase a gun now, but you have to get training, right? Well, yeah, this is great. We knocked out the Chicago gun ban, 
And then Chicago came back and passed a new law that said, okay, we have to let you have a gun in your own home for self-protection, but we're going to demand your range training, but we're going to ban ranges. <laughs> okay, so we took that to court as well. We just had recently oral arguments uh, at the appeals court level, and it's obvious from the oral arguments we were going to win in that case as well. Chicago's ban on gun ranges is eventually going to bite the dust. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, this this bald-faced gun-banning mentality in Chicago. Um, I mean, are are legal gun owners around Chicago shooting the place up? I'm just kind of wondering what the what the lay of the land is there. I haven't visited Chicago for a while here, Alan. No, but illegal gun owners are shooting the place up because they can do it with impunity. Chicago is almost a gun-free zone where legal people can't, you know, own firearms. And so what happens is the illegal people, so to speak, the people committing crimes, just run rampant. Uh, and that's why Chicago's got such a ridiculously crazy homicide rate. However, what's really interesting is since we passed our, uh, got our, uh, you know, the law, their gun ban knocked out in court, the homicide rate in Chicago has dropped at about 26%. And that's only with a few thousand people now being allowed to own guns in Chicago. So we're making some progress and we're helping to fight the crime rate there. Alan Gottlieb, once again, Executive Director of the Second Amendment Foundation. Steve the Marines here. Steve, always good to hear from you. You're with Alan Gottlieb. Uh, Mr. Gottlieb, uh... I've been saying uh, for almost 10 years that uh, gun rights advocates are no longer on the defensive, that we are now on the offensive or more or less rolling back gun control laws. By the way, all the more reason to push hard. But uh, one of the things I would like to ask you is, uh, are there any really malignant, I don't mean nipping around the edges of gun rights, but really malignant gun rights, uh, gun grabs type of things uh, realistic in the future. And I'll listen on the air, okay, Bill? Good question, Steve. Thanks for that. And, Alan, yeah, your comment? Well, Steve, yes, Steve, in the future there's all kinds of bad things that could happen, but let's look at the current ones that we're, we're, we're facing right now. We're facing an arms trade treaty at the United Nations that could infringe heavily on individual Second Amendment rights here in our country. And, in fact, next week the U.N. is back at it again, and the Second Amendment Foundation will have a non-governmental organization representative there you know, working against it. Uh, so we have some problems there. Because what becomes international law impacts, you know, our importing, our exporting, all kinds of things in, in this country. We also have the, the Obama administration just uh, by executive order banned uh, the import back in of about one million uh, World War One, World War Two issue type surplus rifles from Korea to be sold on a civilian market here. Were those the M1As that I see uh, have been restricted? Yes. yes, guns that are never used in crime, <clears throat> you know, and so I mean, anything they can do, they can try to do. Where the big thing now I'm looking at, quite frankly, is this uh, uh, project Gunrunner, where the federal government, you know, Obama and uh, Justice Holder, Attorney General Holder, has basically made the statement that 90% of the guns used in crime in Mexico are traced back to the United States, which we knew was a bogus figure. But now we're finding out to try to justify those numbers to push for more gun control. The Obama administration has allowed over 2,000. Uh, assault rifles to walk across the border to Mexico out of gun stores where they told the gun store owners to sell it to people that never should have been sold to. In one case, one guy bought three, over 230 of those. Across the border, they've killed a couple hundred Mexican citizens. Now they've come back to the United States, and the Border Patrol agent has been, been killed with one of those firearms as well. Yesterday, at the Judiciary Committee hearings in, in the House, Congressman Issa had Holder there and started for nine minutes questioning him very heavily on this. And he asked Holder, when did you know about this? And Holder goes, only for a few weeks. Well, it's been in the media and the press now for over two months. And, of course, Holder knew about it well before that. The administration is now trying to cover it up. And the cover-up is probably worse than uh, the, the craziness or what could be criminal that this administration has done 
and allowing this process to go forward. What's really amazing about this bill is that, you know, you take a look at Watergate. The cover-up was worse than the crime. Mm-hmm. At Watergate, nobody died. Here now we have a couple dozen Americans that are dead and over 200 Mexicans have been killed because we have allowed these guns into the into the hands of the drug cartels. When they cross the border, we never... Isn't that something? Isn't that just absolutely positively something? Talk about taking our rights away and just never ending. I mean, those pieces are so key. Government by government. Government by government. It's almost a scary thought when you think how far we've come um, or how far they they have taken over since, say, the mid-'90s. This has been taking place for several, several years, maybe even over 100 years. But, I mean, just to the point where they keep squeezing and squeezing and squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. It, it really, really, really is to a point where we as citizens need to really get in mass numbers and start voting these people out of office. It's, it's, it's so important. I mean, we. at what point, um, I mean, do we understand that, I mean, we need to take action and we need to vote in large numbers. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean if we could vote everybody out of office today, that doesn't necessarily mean that the new ones are going to be any better. That's why we, the people, have to really, really take an active part in preserving the republic, or else we'll look back and know there is no republic. On behalf of C. Robert Jones, this is the Situation Report. I am Cool Mike for Tuesday, February the 5th. Good afternoon, or good night, everybody. The feeling is right You fall in love for the first time Heartbeat and kisses so sweet Summertime love in the moonlight I say I
Robert Jones. This is Cool Mike. Good night, everybody.